1: Today, we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to pick up at verse 17. We're actually going to go from verses 17 to verse 34. So if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 34, and that seems like a lot of ground for us to cover, but it's a familiar ground for us because it involves communion or the Lord's Supper. It's Paul dealing with the Corinthian fellowship in regards to the Lord's Supper, him dealing with abuses that were taking place in that fellowship because of carnality, living according to the flesh. Now, it's important that we understand the root cause of the issues that Paul's addressing. I've said this over and over again. We need to recognize that these things are fruit of people who are living according to the flesh, who actually have determined to know God according to the flesh. And the reality of our relationship with Him is that it is not in flesh. It might be manifested through the flesh, the body you wear. It might be ministry through the flesh, the body you wear. But God's relationship is not with your flesh any more than my relationship is with my wife's dress. It's a beautiful dress, by the way. But my relationship with her is her. So we need to recognize the root. If we don't recognize the root, then all we're going to hear, we're just going to see the error of their ways, and then we're going to read his instructions for remedy, and we're going to walk away with a cause and effect doctrine and that's not what we need we need to see that the root issue was that determination to live to the flesh it was self-indulgence it was seeking to know God according to the flesh rather than according to the spirit the fellowship in Corinth had become religious and divisive it had become spiritually lethargic and hypersensitive in the flesh that is the result of living a carnal Christian life. You see it in churches everywhere. What you see reflected in the body, within the body, is the individual heart condition. And when you see divisiveness, division, separation, when you see bitterness, When you see judgments, when you see criticisms, when you see people dividing themselves, all you're seeing is flesh. And you say, well, I don't understand that these are religious people. Listen, you can be religious in the flesh and not live according to your spiritual identity. And a church that promotes religious activity, puts emphasis on man-centered good works, is a church that will ultimately neglect who they are in Christ. And in that church, you will find division. The flesh always divides. And think about it. It's really a a truth. It is the paradigm You either live according to the Spirit or you live according to the flesh. Every sin that is a problem for you, it is not coming to you from the Spirit. You're not tempted in who you are in Christ, are you? You're not, you're not in bondage there. You don't have weaknesses or addictions. You don't have distractions. You don't have temptations. You don't feel estranged from God. You don't feel separated from God there. The truth of who you are is spiritual. But every sense of separation from God, every temptation that you face, every problem with bitterness, addictions, you name it, every sin that will accost you will accost you according to what? Flesh, exactly. So what we're seeing here are some people who are religious, people who know the Lord, people who do have a spiritual identity. But... There are people who are determined to know him according to the flesh. Now, the issue that Paul is dealing with, as I mentioned before in this text, is the abuse of the Lord's table. And this abuse was extremely grievous to Paul. We see and hear the grief in what he has written. We also see God's grief in this because that's all Paul's reflecting. I want you to understand that when you read Paul's writings, what you're reading and the reflection of his heart, one of the reasons God chose this man is because this man would be transparent. He recognized that nothing good was in his flesh. He literally wrote the Bible with the Spirit of God interpreting for him the heart of God. So what you're hearing is not just Paul's writings and his thoughts concerning the situation. It's not summed up there. It is God. So when you hear Paul's anger... When you hear Paul's grief, you're hearing God's grief. Now I want to begin by pointing out that the ancient world was extremely class conscience. There was all manner of bias, prejudice, and racism that went on there. The divisions of the flesh were endless and are endless. There were free men, there were slaves, there were Greeks, there were barbarians, and that was simply anybody that didn't speak Greek. Uh, There were people who were Jews, there were Gentiles, there were Roman citizens, there were aliens, there were the genders or the sexes, there were the cultured and the ignorant, the wealthy and the poor, and the list goes on and on. It's endless. And you know what? They were sensitive to every single one. When people live according to the flesh, the first thing they do is divide along some line. It's even worse today. I mean, if you, have, if you don't know that, you need to get out of the house once in a while. It's worse today. We've become hypersensitive in our society. We're actually living in the age of the victim, aren't we? This is not the dawning of the age of Aquarius. This is the age of the victim. Some of you are old enough to know what that's about. We're divided by color, diet, dress economics, environmental concerns, pets, allergies, politics, religion, hairstyles, disabilities, sports, and a thousand other things that were not even worth mentioning. I mean, pick up a magazine, go to the checkout stand at the at the grocery store, and just in that brief in, encounter, you can pick off at least twenty different declared groups, at least probably more. God divides along only two lines. You're either born of Adam or you're born of Christ. You're either flesh in your principal being or your spirit. Now the lost man is principally flesh. He's ruled by the flesh. He he walks according to the flesh. He literally is dominated and enslaved to the flesh, which is a combination of the power of sin, the body, The enemy and the world. He has a lot of masters, but they're all anti-God, and he is anti-God. But the child of God is born of Christ, and at this principle being at the core of who he is, he is righteous and holy. He is literally set apart, made for God and God alone, accepted and loved. So we have two different beings. That's where God divides. That's the dividing line. Jesus said, those who worship me will worship me how? In spirit. So what is the church doing? This is the frustrating thing. Capitalizing on the flesh's approach to God. In order to draw more people in, we put emphasis on the flesh. When our preoccupation, our focus should be on who we are in Christ, not upon who we are in the flesh as Christians. There's a difference. Well, there are a lot of divisions, and God only divides along two lines, not upon the thousands, that the flesh does. Now, in chapters 1 through 3, we read about divisions in the Corinthian fellowship. I'm following Apollos, I'm following Paul, I'm following Christ. And they were divided up, rallying around different teachers. Again, this is the flesh in action. It could have been around anything. Division is the rule. What it is, is just a matter of exception, Okay? I mean, we could have uh, this side over here just to name a few. This side over here could be gluten-free and this side over here could be non-gluten-free. We could divide right there, right? How about vegetarians and meat-eaters? I mean, it's just that simple. It's not about what you are divided up as. It's about the division. That's where the flesh works. So, they had already shown themselves to be carnal, and now we see this extended in their practice of communion. So let's look at First Corinthians chapter 11 verses 17 through 19. Verse 17, but in giving this instruction I do not praise you, because when you meet together it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you meet together in church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. For doubtless, there have to be factions among you, so that those who are of approved character may be clearly recognized among you. Well, you might recall in verse 2 of this chapter, Paul praised them. He praised them for their adherence to doctrine, or more specifically, to what he had taught them. For their following of correct teaching. But here's the thing. Following correct teaching does not make you spiritual. It just makes you educated. Okay? Spirituality flows from the new creation that lives to the spirit rather than to the flesh. That's where spirituality flows from. Paul is making a distinction between what he wrote in verse 2... And what he's writing now, he's saying, I have no praise for you in this. What's going on here is wrong. So Paul begins, he says, in the first place. Okay, I remember, well, starting out as a kid. When you heard that, you were in for a long list. You were in trouble. If the wife starts out with that, you're in trouble. In the first place. Well, this tells you they were messed up on several different levels. And Paul begins, and he's emphatic about it. He says, so to start with, when you guys meet together in church, there are divisions. Well, that in itself is a condemnation. When you meet together in church, the body of Christ, there are divisions. You know what that means? That means there is conditional acceptance. That means that there is rejection, that there are people being wounded. There are people who are wounding. Division is to be expected in the world. Rejection is a daily occurrence, but not among the people of God. Among the people of God, there should be no division. You say, well, now, you know, that's just not possible, humanly speaking. You're right, humanly speaking. But we don't come here to celebrate our humanity. We come here to celebrate the truth of who we are in Christ. And who we are in Christ, there is no division. None. One uh, church historian wrote this about the ancient church. He said, within their limits, they had resolved most of the social problems that baffled Rome and baffles Europe even today. They had lifted the woman to her rightful place, restored the dignity of labor, abolished beggary, and had drawn the sting of slavery out. This secret of revolution is that the selflessness of race and class was forgotten in the supper of our Lord. And the basis for society was found in love of the visible image of God in men for whom Christ died. There is a society in Christ. It's called the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, there is a common flow of love. There is an acceptance. There is a nurture of truth. There is a congregational or a common Love of worship and of Him. That's what we gather together in. That's what we feel when we greet each other. That should be. That's the truth of our relationship. If our relationship is based on anything else, it'll eventually go by the boards, won't it? If it's based on the fact that you're allowing me to park up front, one day some, you're going to park in the wrong place, and that'll be over with. Because I'll let the minutes speak against the years, Right? That one time. This is the truth of it. Our union is in Christ. They were dividing at the Lord's table, they were separating according to flesh. The table that demonstrated the sacrifice of our Lord to bring us all into the same life, where He abolished every obstacle to our knowing the fellowship of God. At that table, they were bringing rejection. Now, this is an abomination, it's not worship. It's wicked. It's like the acts of Belshazzar when he took the vessels out of the temple to use at his party. Daniel 5.23 records it and God says to him, He says and you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought before you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. You have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or understand. But the God who holds in his hand your breath of life and your ways, you have not honored and glorified, but you have dishonored and defied that's what was going on you say well that's pretty strong no that's the truth of it see paul makes the point in verse 19 that their actions had revealed them and that's the truth the light of god does reveal the spirit of god will expose attitudes of the soul that are not consistent with the life that he's given us division and dissension reveal the flesh and those who determine to love reveal the Father's heart. So in verses 20 and 22, we're going to read what Paul wrote concerning their activity, what they were doing. 1 Corinthians well, chapter 11, verses 20 and 22, he says, So when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For when you eat, each one hurries to get his own supper first, not waiting for others or the poor. So one goes hungry while another gets drunk. What? This is Paul's, what Paul is doing. He's going, what? What are you thinking? He's incredulous. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those impoverished believers who have nothing? What will I say to you? I don't even know what to say to you. Shall I praise you for this? In this, I will not praise you. You see, do you show contempt for the church of God? Do you humiliate those who have nothing? In Paul's day, we see this, and we've to some degree duplicated it, but in Paul's day, socialization was largely done around meals. Now, they also didn't have cars and did a great deal of walking. That's why they didn't have the obesity problem we have today. But that being said, they did a great deal of their socialization around meals. And it was there where the family gathered and not just the immediate family, but all those who were considered part of the familial society. So kind of like at our house, you never know who will be at the table, but it's okay with us. 'Cause we consider them family when they come into the home. They're part of our little society. This is where fellowship and interaction took place, and it was at its best there. It was the nightly news for them. It was a place of relationship. It was it was very important to them. They wouldn't miss it any more than you might miss your would want to miss your favorite program. They were tied into it. Well, the church picked it up as well. And they had a feast in the early church that was practiced on a regular basis, and it was called an agape, or a love feast. Now, it was not an ordinance of the church, nor was it a command of God, but it was a way for them to relate to one another, to, to, to bring each other in, to enter into each other's world, to express love and show communion with the body of Christ now that was their practice the members would pool their food and gather together for a common meal that sounds familiar they they would have what we would call nowadays a potluck right and in the church there were some who could bring much some who could bring little And some who couldn't bring anything at all. Because you recognize the church was made up of all variety of people. It was where division stopped or was supposed to. We had... We had rich, we had poor, we had slaves, we had freedmen, we had people from various backgrounds, people who came out of idolatry, people who came out of Judaism. There were a hundred different lines for them to divide upon, but they came together along one line, Jesus. And they gathered together in that commonality. And that is what that supper was about, to celebrate That commonality. Well, some rich brought much, some poor brought little, and some who were slaves and and impoverished brought nothing. So what was happening is those who had plenty saw that a good bit of their goods were going to feed those who had nothing. So they eliminated the problem in their minds by getting there early. Sound like a parking place situation, huh? They would get there early so that they could eat the food that they brought among their little group, and they'd eat it really fast. You know? I'm sure that was its own reward. And they would drink lots of wine because they had plenty to drink. So, you know, by the time the other people got there, there was nothing. It was all gone. These guys were sitting back, sucking their teeth, sipping their wine. And there was nothing but crumbs left for the others. You know, that's got to cause a few problems, right? There was some resentment. Some overindulged and got drunk. Some walked away with nothing but resentment and bitterness. So what was established to demonstrate their love in Christ and their oneness of the body of Christ became a point of division, right? The child of God has been set free from every obstacle to loving one another. That's the thing we got to remember. When you have a problem with a brother or sister, God has already removed the obstacle. It's time for you to reckon upon what He has done. Now, it doesn't mean that the brother or sister is always right. But it means that you have an opportunity not to be wrong. Okay? So... God has removed every obstacle from loving one another, and there's no excuse in the church of God for divisions or separation except as a matter of discipline within the church. And Paul, in this whole section, is being absolutely incredulous. He's saying, It's beyond words. What shall I say? The love feast that we're talking about would take place right before communion. They did it like this they would have the love feast, everybody just stay seated. Then they would do the communion, and then they would have a sermon. Much like in Passover, they would do the Passover, and then there would be, during the Passover, of course, there would be a narrative, but at the end of Passover, there would be an even longer narrative, bringing back the remembrance of what Passover was about. Okay? So the love feast would take place right before communion, so you could see what they brought to the Lord's table divisions, resentment, judgments, gluttony, drunkenness, and they would continue to sit in their separateness, divided according to the flesh, and partake in the remembrance ordinance of the sacrificial work of Christ. Can you see the problem? You see, communion is one of two ordinances that God commands us to practice as the church. There is baptism, It both declares and celebrates our birth in Christ, but it is only done once. And then there's communion. And it is to be done regularly. It is done to affirm the finished work of Christ in us and to share in a spiritual communion with Christ and his body. That's why it's not to be neglected. Father, thank you for this ordinance that reflects your love, your sacrifice, your desire, your passion for us. May we approach that table with joy and celebration.
0: Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.com 78006.